I struggled during that music to praise the Lord, the one who died to give us salvation, so that I can stand here today and say, it is well with my soul. Man, if that don't pump you chili, nothing will. Okay? That's got to pump you chili. Jim French, open us up, please, sir. Hmm. Jim. We'll be in Matthew 5 again as we continue on our, our little series over the Beatitudes. I uh, hope that uh, you have enjoyed them. I hope it's been an encouragement to you as we uh, try to speak truth from God's Word. And of course you remember the Beatitudes that we have talked about are all a picture of the heart of a believer. And as we have looked at some of those and, and the heart of a believer, he's always got a reward there for us. So as we continue on today, we'll be in verse 9. And we'll get there in just a minute. Alfred Nobel. He was a Swedish inventor. And he invented dynamite. Okay. And he invented it for a couple of purposes. One is to be able to clear out roadways so that roads could be built to clear off the land so buildings could be built. And as he discovered and invented dynamite, he did it for a great purpose. I, I want to help people, he said. I want to help people to better their lives. But of course we know what happened with that and a lot of things that happened along the way that are supposed to be good. We know that men took that that dynamite, that invention that was made for good, and they made it for bad, did they not? They made it to make war, and they used it to kill people. And, and, and as that was happening, Alfred Nobel became very discouraged. Why would I invent something like that that's going to be used for war and not peace? It says that he gathered up his money, about $9 million, and he put it into an account that says, I want to take this money to promote peace in the world. And as we know today, as, as people promote peace and try to create peace in our world, 
uh, many times they receive what is known as the Nobel Peace Prize. And that's where that came from, this idea that I created something for good and man took it for bad and I want to reward those people that pursue peace throughout this whole world. You know, guys looking for Nobel Peace Prize winners himself. Did you know that? He's looking for people that will pursue peace and that will, will not pursue conflict, will not pursue hard times, but want to pursue peace and want to pursue a lifestyle that God has called us to live under. In Matthew 5, 9, we read these words, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the sons of God. Peace, freedom from disturbance and discord. Freedom from unsettling thoughts and emotions. A state of tranquility and a state of calmness. If you want to be a peacemaker, you will pursue those kinds of things in your life. If you want to be a peacemaker like he's called us to be, say we will pursue reconciliation among people. And we will also pursue the fact that we want people to be reconciled with God. And obviously that's probably the most important peacemaker idea that we could do. To help people to become reconciled with God. You know, God delights in using His children to bring peace in a situation. Peace is is something that's very important to God Himself. We will find that it is part of His character. From Genesis to Revelation, all throughout this book, God communicates to us that He wants so much, so much to bless us with peace, to bless us with internal peace, to bless us with spiritual peace. And in turn, once we are doing that, then we can in turn help others to have peace in their lives. Peace to God is a very important topic. And we're going to look at that today. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. A couple things I want to just look at today as we look at this idea of peace. Uh, and, I, and, and I think it just kind of explains to it and why, why this peace is, is important. This sense of tranquility and calmness is important. A sense of, 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 of absence from conflict, if you would. Some things that we can recognize from God's Word. The first one there is peace is part of God's character. Peace is part of God's character. We, we notice in Romans 15, 33, it says, Now the God of peace be with you all. In 2 Corinthians 13, 11, it says this, Finally, brethren, rejoice. Finally, Christian, rejoice. Be made complete. Be comforted. Be like-minded. Live in peace, it says. And the God of love and peace will be with you. We serve the Prince of Peace, do we not? Jesus Christ. You see, the character of God is, one of the characteristics of God is peace. And since Jesus is God made in the flesh, a characteristic of His is peace among other, other people. And if we as believers now want to be more like Christ, if we want to live a life that, that looks like Jesus Christ, we have to be a people that have peace in our lives. We have to be peacemakers, if you would. If you ever want to understand what God's character is, 
one of the characteristics is he is all about peace in the lives of people, in the lives of other people. Second characteristic of peace is one of those great blessings, it says, that God gives to all of those who follow him. It is a blessing that God gives to all of his children who follow him. In Psalm 29, 11, it says this. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. So many times we read in God's word and, and we think that, that God's promises are just for everybody. Everybody that can read that, it's, it's, it will, will receive the blessings of God. But what we find out in these verses and many others, he's not talking to the masses, is he? He's talking to those people who are born-again believers. He said, I will give strength to my people, my believers, mine who have, have sacrificed and mine who have accepted me. I will give strength to them. And then he says, I will give my people blessings with peace. He's talking about believers here, is he not? I will bless you with peace because you are my Children, what kind of peace is he talking about? He's talking about a, a calmness in our life, a tranquility in our life, a, a, a sense of absence of conflict in our life. You see, the Bible tells us we can have peace in the midst of a storm. We can have peace in the midst of a storm. When, when life becomes difficult, we can have peace during that difficulty. When the, when the doctor says you got you got a sickness that's pretty pretty serious, we can have peace during that during that. We can have peace when we have to have major surgery in our lives. We can have peace because we serve the one who can calm the storm. We have peace that surpasses all understanding. And the Bible says when life gets hard and life is difficult and you get news that you don't want to hear, the Bible says, "I will bless my people with peace." And then he says, the first part of the verse, he said, I will give you strength to his people. I will give you strength. Man, there are just some days that happens that you, man, you just don't really want to get out of bed. You know what? There are some days when life has been so difficult that you just want to lay there. There are some days you just go, oh, man, what? I'm weak and I don't know what to do. I just don't have the strength that I need. I don't know. What to do? Maybe I, I, maybe you've lost a spouse and you're kind of lost in a sense, and you just don't know how you want to keep going. You don't know how to take that next step in front of you, and you just and you just wonder, man, where is that strength going to come from? And God's word tells us what He says: the Lord will give strength to His people. Psalm forty-six, one. He said, "God is my refuge and my strength." He will be my help in time of trouble. Therefore, it says, I will not fear. Even though the earth changes, even though my circumstances in life change, even though things are happening in my life that I do not like and I do not agree with, the Bible says what? I am your refuge, God says. I am your shelter. I am the place that you need to run to when life doesn't fit the way you think it should fit. He said, come to me, I will be your refuge. And when you do that, he says, I will be your strength. When you are weak, guess what? The Bible says, he is strong. When you don't know what to do, he is still strong. When life slaps you in the face, 
He is still strong. He will give you the strength that you need in order to persevere. I am your refuge and strength. I am your help in time of trouble. Then he says what? Therefore, (laughs) do not fear when the earth changes, when your life changes, when your circumstances change. Do not fear because I, he says, will provide you with all the peace you need and all the strength you need to get you through whatever you're dealing with. Don't we serve a great God who understands when, when life is hard, he's there for us. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. I love those verses. I've told you before, that's one of, my, one of my verses that I'm holding on to right now in my life. Great verses. Verse 5, it's not up there, but I always forget this for some reason. Because of verse 5, the end of verse 5 says this, The Lord is near. And then he tells us this. The Lord is near. And then he says, Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication... With thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Take it to the Lord. Take it right there. Take your hurt, take your pain, take your joy. Say, Father, I don't understand, I don't like. But God, I'm going to thank you anyway. Because I know that's the kind of God that you are. That's the kind of God that you've told us you are. And I'm going to trust that and I'm going to believe in that, God. And what do we do when we take it to Him? We pray and we ask and with thanksgiving we let, our, we let our requests be known to Him. We let our hurts and our happiness and all those other things, we give it to Him. Lay it at the foot of the cross. And then the second part of that verse, what does it say? But the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it makes no sense sometimes, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. You talk about a blessing. You talk about what something God's going to give to you that you don't deserve. When you are anxious and you are worried and you don't know what life's going to hold for you today or tomorrow. What does he say? Take it to the Lord. He said, I'll give you all the peace that makes no sense that you have a calmness about you. Wow. Do you... Repeat that verse one time in your life? No. No. When I was going through my heart surgery, anxious for nothing, peace that surpasses all understanding, he gave it to me. And I claim that verse and I memorize that verse and I stand on that verse. And man, I would ask you, I would encourage you, I would tell you, and if I could, I'd even order you to. To understand, to memorize Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And repeat it every day. When life gets hard, when life's a struggle, when anxiety comes up, when you start worrying about stuff that you don't need to worry about. But we all do. We all do. And I tell you what you do. If you'll put that verse, those two verses, in your memory bank. I promise you, every one of us could remember that verse. You could memorize that verse. And when that starts welling up and the enemy says, you're supposed to be worried and you're supposed to be excited and you're supposed to be anxious over this, whatever this is, what do you do? You bring that up from your file cabinet of your mind and you repeat that verse. God, you promised, you promised peace that surpasses all understanding. 
will guard my heart and life in Christ Jesus. I'm going to claim that promise. I'm going to stand on that promise. I'm not ever going to give up on that promise. Because that is a word from you, God, that you have for me. What a blessing it is when God says, I'm going to, I'm going to give you peace that makes no sense. And I want you to repeat that over and over and over. And I can promise you from my own experience that when you become anxious like that, the Bible says you don't have to be. Give it to me. Pray about it. Talk about it. Thank, be thankful over it. And he said, I'll give you that peace that you need. I praise God. You know, that's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind he wants. He said, I don't want you to have to deal with that. I don't want you to have to mess with that kind of stuff in your life. He said, just give it to me and I'll bring you the peace that you need. What a blessing he gives us. Third point of peace that we need to understand. God repeatedly commands his people to seek and to pursue peace. We are to seek and pursue peace. Psalm 34, 14, it says, depart from evil and do good. Okay. Seek peace and pursue it. What kind of peace are we supposed to seek? And we'll get to these in just a minute. We are to seek the peace with God, seek peace with others, and we also are to seek peace internally. We'll get to those in just a minute. Romans 14, 19 says this, So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. He says we are to pursue the things that make for peace. That make for peace between other people. Make for peace between us and God. It is not to pursue conflict. It's not to pursue quarrels. It's not to pursue those kinds of things. He says, Christian, I want you to pursue peace with God. And I want you to pursue peace with other men and other women and other people. Proverbs 19.11 says this, A man's discretion, a man's good sense, makes him slow to anger. And it is for his glory that he overlooks a transgression. How many times in our lives when, when somebody does something to us or says something about us, we go, hmm, I'm going to get back at that. I don't like that. I'm coming at you, buddy. Don't you ever do that again. And what does the Bible say? He said, a man's discretion, a man's good sense. says, you don't get angry at that. And he says, if you just overlook some of that stuff, if you just reconcile or forgive some of that stuff, he says, it is for your personal glory that if you overlook those kind of things. The Bible says, don't pursue conflict, pursue peace, because that is what God would call us to do. We are called to be peacemakers. Romans 12, 18 and 19 says it this way. And I know we've all heard this verse. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine, he says. Well, you say, I, I, I'm trying to... Yeah, we had a conflict there, and, and, and I don't know what to do about it. I've gone to this person. I've tried to reconcile this conflict. I've tried to bring peace in this relationship, and, and they just don't want to do it. What do you do? The Bible says you've done everything you're supposed to do. You make the effort to reconcile. You make the effort to bring peace, and if the other person doesn't want to do it, that's on them. 
and you just let God deal with it. See, that's biblical. That's what he wants us to do. We make the effort. The other person doesn't want to do it. It's on them and not on you. You see, he commands us to seek peace and pursue also peace. As we read those words and we look at them, that's not a suggestion, <laughs> Christian. <laughs> it's not a suggestion. It's, it's not optional, okay? If you've been born again and you want to, to be obedient to the Lord's commands, if you want to have a heart that Jesus has in his life, he says you will be a peacemaker. And the reward for that says you will be called the sons of God. You will be called the daughters of God. You will be called one of his children if you have a heart that creates peace and pursues peace in your life. There is no greater name. There's no greater title that you can be called than the sons and the daughters of holy God. It won't get any better than that. You can't find a better name than that. Son of the Father. Daughter of the Father. And he says, when you are a peacemaker, guess what? You are one of my sons and one of my daughters. That's pretty good stuff. And then he says, what did he say? I will bless you because of that. Peace is part of God's character, is it not? And if it's part of his character, we should desire that part of our character in our lives. Okay? God promises to bless us when we pursue peace. And we are to seek peace and we are to pursue peace in our lives with God and with other people. And when we do, the Bible says we are blessed. Real quickly, there's three dimensions of peace that I want you to get today. And these are probably the most important three that, uh, that we need, if you would. And the first one is a peace with God. Peace with God. Peace with God. <laughs> you see, in our old nature, the Bible says we have a sinful nature. And because we have this old nature that we were born with, the Bible says if we are not born again yet, the Bible says we are enemies of God. John 3.36 says the wrath of God is upon us. That's him speaking, not me. And we have this sinful nature about ourselves. And there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. On our best day, the Bible says, the best actions, the best words, the best deeds that we do, the Bible says, are just like filthy rags compared to the holiness of God. There is no way that we could ever, on our own, gain God's approval. Can't do it. Not on our own. Can't do it. But because God loves us so much, <laughs> what did he do? He sent his son. He sent his son. And he sent his son to walk on this earth to live a perfect life and to die on a cross, to die on a cross in order to pay the price for your sins. That's what he did. That's how much he loves us. Even though the Bible says you were an enemy of God, he still loved you that much that his son would die on a cross. The cruelest kind of death in the history of cruel deaths was a cross. But he loved us so much that he sent his son to do that just for you. Well, how can I be, 
How can I ever have peace with God? If, if you say that, that, that I'm an enemy of God, how can I ever have peace with God in my life? Well, let me tell you, I'm glad you asked, okay? What you've got to do is very simple. It's not rocket science. Really not. All you've got to do is understand that you are a sinner. And that your sins have made a separation between you and God. Romans 3.23. For all of sin comes short of the glory of God. And then we understand that if we are a sinner and we acknowledge that there's no way I can save myself, which you can't. We understand in, in, in Romans 6.23 that he says, he said, I've got a, I've got a gift I want to give to you. I've got a gift I want to give you. And that gift, he says, that is eternal life through my son, Jesus Christ. He said, I want to just give you a gift. Man, I like gifts. And he said, here's the best gift that you could ever have. And it's my son. Please accept him. And then Romans 10, 9 said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, guess what? You shall be saved. Not rocket scientists. You're a sinner in need of a Savior. I asked Jesus into my heart. And when I ask him into my heart, guess what happens? He gives me a heart transplant. He takes my old heart that was so full of sin. And he gives me a heart for the things of God. When you got saved as a believer, guess what happened? He gave you a new plan in life. He gave you a new passion in life. That is to serve Him. He's given you a new priority, which is to seek Him first. And He's given you a new purpose, to love the Lord with all your heart and all your soul. You see, when you got saved, that's what happened to you. It doesn't get any better. And when that happens, the Bible says, you are now right with God. That's how you become right with God. You accept Him, Jesus as Lord and Savior. And when that happens... <laughs> What a great thing. What a great thing. Every one of your sin, from past, present, to, to when he takes you out of here, you are forgiven. Every sin that you ever committed is forgiven. Let me rephrase that. Every sin that you've ever committed has been forgiven. Every sin that you've ever committed has been forgiven. You understand what that means? You understand what forgiveness of sin means? It means because you have been forgiven of every sin in your life, you now receive the privilege to be able to live with Him forever in a heavenly home. If He just forgave everyone but one sin, if He forgave all your sins but He just for, didn't do one, said, I, I can't do that one. Don, I just can't forgive them. That was just too bad. Guess what? I would never have a home in heaven. You see, the greatest thing that God can do for you is to forgive every one of your sins. Because now, the Bible says, we have a, a home and an inheritance in heaven that will last forever and forever. And because we have been forgiven, our consciences are clear because we've been forgiven of everything. And we no longer have to worry about dying and death. We don't have to worry about that. Why? 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 Because the Bible tells us when we take our last breath here on this earth, God dispatches His angels to escort us into the very presence of heaven. When we take our last breath here, 
we take our first breath in heaven. Absent from the body. Present from the Lord. I don't know about you, but that's exciting stuff. Absent from the body. I am dead and gone. But I am in the very presence of holy God. That, my friend, is peace with God. You cannot be a peacemaker until you make peace with God. Second thing I want you to look at just real quickly. Peace with others. Peace with others. We can have peace with others. Did you know that? Because of, of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Psalm 133.1 says this. It says, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. In unity and harmony and understanding and goodwill. How great that is. How good and pleasant that is. And I think you understand that, don't you? I was talking to a friend of mine this week. And he was a, the administrator of his mom's estate. And he has an older sister who mom thought could not handle the responsibility of being the administrator. So here little brother is administering the estate. Older sister says, I don't like what you're doing. I believe I should have all the assets. And she has filed lawsuit in court to have all of that changed. And I think, oh, how sad that is. To have family members suing each other just so they could have a little more money in the pocket. How sad that is. And the Bible says what? He says, he says how good and pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. You see, we are called as believers that we have unity within our family unit. That's pleasant, isn't it? You have those family reunions, y'all get, y'all get along, don't you? Okay? Harmony amongst friends. How, how good is that? Just think about that. I mean, you have, you have harmony with your friends and your buddies and how, how sweet that is. And I'll take it one more level. How sweet it is to have harmony and peace and goodwill in a family of churches. In this family right here, we are called to have peace and we are called to have unity. In Romans twelve eighteen, it says we are to live in harmony and peace with all, all people. In Revelations, the, the martyrs cry out in one voice. If you, if you read that someday, they cry out in one voice. Oh God, how long will it be until you come and take care of this mess? The Bible says they cried out in one voice, which was a picture of unity that we as a church are supposed to have. We have to have unity here because in heaven we will have complete unity. We will cry out with one voice to holy God. In Matthew 22, it talks about we shall love our neighbor as ourself. That is unity. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 13, it says live in peace with one another. In Hebrews 12, 4, it says pursue peace with all men. In James 1, 19 and 20, it says everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of, God, of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. You see, we have been called to live in peace and harmony with our fellow mankind. We might disagree. We might not understand what everybody's thinking. But it says, as, as, as far as it's up to you and me as Christians, we are to pursue reconciliation. We are to pursue peace in those relationships. You want to be a peacemaker? Number one, you've got to be right with God. You've got to be able to be right with others. And the third thing, real quickly, that I want you to hear. 
is you can have peace within yourself. You can have peace within yourself. You see, people look for peace, don't they? In all the wrong places. We want internal peace. We all want it, contentment. We all want satisfaction. We all want security. And we look in all kinds of areas in our life to find that. Man, I just I wish I could get rid of this anxiety. I wish I could get rid of this worry. I just, man, I just wish I had some, had a little peace inside of me. And we look in all kinds of different places and we don't ever find it. And what we've got to understand, Christian, what we've got to understand, friend, is the kind of peace that comes internally does not come from a book, does not come from anybody on TV. The kind of peace that we want, that we desire, that internal peace only comes from God himself. God himself says, I will give you internal peace. Dr. Phil can't do it. Oprah can't do it. Only God says, I can do it. 1 John 3, 20 21 says basically this. He says, Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. We have confidence before God. How can we have confidence before God? If our hearts do not condemn us. Well, as a Christian, there is no condemnation for us as believers. There is no condemnation. But if our heart condemns us, what's it talking about here? It says, for the Christian, for the Christian, you, you have unconfessed sin in your life. You have unconfessed sin in your life. And you know it. <laughs> And you know it. Or you're pursuing something that you know is not pleasing to God. And you know it. And you pursue it anyway. And sometimes your, your conscience starts bothering you a little bit. And you go, oh man. And, and you don't have confidence before God because you don't want to speak to Him. This week I was, I was talking to, well, I, I, was, I was visiting with a renter. Let me illustrate. And... He sent his rent check to me. Of course, I put it through the bank, and three or four days later, what it comes back insufficient funds. I call him up. Hey, doesn't answer. Hey, hey, call him up. No answer. So I text him. Hey, call me, please. No answer. And I can tell he's read it. <laughs> hey, I, this is the issue. You need to call me. He's read it. Doesn't want to talk to me. He has. No confidence in what I'm going to tell him. He is scared to come to me and find out what, what I need to tell him. And I'm here to tell you, some of us are Christians, that's the very same thing that we do with God. We live a life running away from him. We live a life of sin. We don't confess our sin. And then what happens? You know, I don't really want to, I don't feel like praying. I really don't feel like reading, my, reading that word because I know what God's going to tell me. I really don't want to spend time with God because I'm really done messed up. And I don't want to find out what God's going to do. I don't want to do that. And it says our heart condemns us. Our heart is full of anxiety. Our heart is full of worry. And we don't want to approach the throne room of God with grace to find grace and mercy. And we have no confidence before God because our sins have kept us from there. And our, our fellowship pipeline has stopped. And we just don't want to, just don't want to talk to God. That's what it's talking about there. Isaiah 26.3 says, The steadfast of mind 
will keep you in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Isaiah 32, 17, the work of righteousness, the work of righteousness, the hungering and thirsting after his righteousness, pursuing being right with God. We are right with God, but we pursue a life that says I am right with God. And he says what? When you do that, you will have peace. And the service of righteousness, when we serve other people with a humble heart and without hypocrisy because we want to, because the love of God is within us, and we service other people and we serve other people, he says that lifestyle will develop into what? A lifestyle of quietness and confidence forever. That is another two words for peace, if you would. Quietness and confidence before him. He's called us to do that. Isaiah 48, 18 says, If only you had paid attention to my commandments. Okay, hear that. If you'd only paid attention, then your well-being would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. And you can take those last two things and say, I'd, I'd give you peace if you had just obeyed my commandments. You see, people struggle on the inside because there is a separation from them and God because of their sin. Internal peace comes from being right with God. Internal peace comes with being at peace with others. Internal peace says, I want to obey God's commands. And I want to do what God's called me to do. And when I do that, and when I confess when I mess up, I can be free from those kinds of anxious thoughts, those kinds of worrisome thoughts. Because God has promised to me a peace that surpasses all understanding. That's the kind of peace I want. Did you know it? You see, the Bible has called us to be a peacemaker. He's called us to pursue peace with other people. He's called us to help reconcile differences between people. He's called us to reconcile people to God, even. And he says, I want you to be a peacemaker. Do you have a heart for peacemaking? Do you have a heart for reconciliation? The Bible says you're blessed when you do. The Bible says this is a kind of a picture of my, one of my children. They say we'll have a heart that says, I don't want to pursue conflict. I want to pursue reconciliation. I want to pursue peace in my life and the lives of others. And he says, and when you do that, two things will happen. Number one, I'm going to bless you. And number two, you'll, you'll gain the greatest title that you could ever gain. You are one of, one of my children. You are a son or a daughter of God, of the King. Doesn't get no better than that. Doesn't get any better than that, does it? Do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God? That is the most underlying thing that I can tell you today. Do you have peace with God? You won't be a peacemaker without peace with God. Have you given your heart and life to Jesus Christ? That's the question. If you have, you can have peace with God. And if you haven't, you do not have peace with God. I don't care how often you want to think about it, how you want to cut it, how you want to slice it. Have you given your heart and life to Jesus Christ? And if you haven't, I can tell you how to get there. Admit that you're a sinner. Put your 
heart and life and trust in Jesus Christ. Ask him to come into your heart. Your sins are forgiven. Your conscience is clear. You have nothing to worry about from here on out. Pretty simple. As we begin the invitation time. As we bow our heads and close our eyes, I'm going to ask you to just do business with God right now. Are you a peacemaker? Maybe you're a Christian who has peace with God, but your relationships 